So just to let you know where we're going today, we're going to look at how there is no neutral with regard to how you approach faith or spirituality. There's no neutral. But before we get there, I just want to ask some questions to highlight how there is neutral in a lot of areas of your life. And so we're going to play a little game I like to call, Where Do You Stand? And it's really easy. You can participate if you want. If you don't want to, no worries. You don't have to. Um, the idea is, if, if you're in the middle on something, you can raise your hand and let everyone know, and we'll kind of see where the group lands. So the first question is this. So this year, the National Baseball League implemented some new rules that will help keep the games shorter. Now, some of you are vehemently opposed to these rules. How dare they change the rules? And others of you are elated, like finally they changed the rules. How many of you are in the middle and you really don't care? You don't care. You're neutral. Okay, quite a few of you. In other sports news, Aaron Rodgers is now part of the Jets. Some of you, this cuts open your heart. Others of you say, it's about time. How many of you are in the middle? You really don't care one way or the other. You're neutral. Okay, you're neutral. Taylor Swift is coming to Minneapolis June 23rd and 24th. Some of you have been looking for tickets. Some of you have a beef with Taylor Swift where you, you got a bone to pick. I'm not sure why. How many of you are in the middle? You don't really care. She, she can come. She, oh, okay. I know our demographic now. So you know this. There's going to be plenty of things in your life where you're, you're neutral. You're in the middle. You don't care. But one thing that you need to know early in your life is that your faith is not one of those things. Because your faith is not about where you stand on an issue. Your faith or your spirituality is, is determining where you stand in relation to God. So there is no, oh, I'm kind of apathetic or I'm kind of in the middle. Do I believe God or do I not believe God? Because it's not a matter of where you stand on an issue. It's, it determines where you stand in relation to God. And for some of you who are older, you think, I wish I'd known that sooner. Because there are plenty of things in this world and plenty of people around you that aren't neutral either. And the sooner you can recognize that, the more it will help you navigate your own faith. And so that's our big goal for today. What I wish I'd known sooner is that there is no neutral when it comes to my faith in God. And so what I hope I can do for you today is show you, number one, what's on both sides of neutral, if neutral were a thing. And there's going to be four things we look at specifically today. We're going to see how there is no neutral with regard to the deep foundation of where good and evil comes from. We're going to see how there are leaders in this world who lead people spiritually, and they are not neutral either. A third thing, we're going to look at culture around us and see that it is not neutral. And then finally, we're going to look at you and see how you, at your very essence, at your very nature, are not neutral either. So we're continuing the series looking at parts from 1 Timothy, and today we're going to jump into part, uh, chapter 4, where there's not a lot of introduction here. He's just going to jump in, and Paul is going to give some wisdom to Timothy, telling him, you need to know there is no neutral when it comes to matters of spirituality. And here's how Paul just jumps into things. He says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits 
and I'm veering from the NIV, and I'm adding some words from the new uh, NASB, the new, let's see if I can remember what that stands for, New American Standard Bible, something like that, or is it NASV? I can't remember. Anyway, look in your Bible app, it's in there. He says, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That, like, wow. And that's actually a really good reflection of the Greek. It's teachings of demons, doctrines of demons. And there's a lot of things in here, so I just want to start out slowly. Paul acknowledges that the Holy Spirit had somehow told them, whether it was through Scripture or through Revelation, like God wanted them to know, the church is great right now, but there's going to be a day where people fall away. And it's not just that they're drifting toward neutral. Like they're kind of just now losing favor with God or losing their belief in God slowly. But he says, no, what they're drifting toward is not neutral. There are people who will be following deceiving spirits and these doctrines of demons. And, and you might think, okay, that's a little extreme. We know better now. But I'll just caution you with that. Jesus taught the same. People accused him of being a worker for the devil, which is ironic because he was healing people and helping them and loving them. And people accused him of, you know, he's, he's obviously with, with the devil. And Jesus said, devil can't work against himself. There's two sides to this. There is no neutral. And then on two other occasions, his disciples were trying to navigate how to do ministry. And there was one day where they came across someone who was healing people, not one of the 12 disciples, but they were healing people and they tried to get him to stop and they told Jesus about it. Jesus told them, no, don't stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. He's on our side. You just don't know him. I met him last week. I told him to go do some great stuff. Just because you don't know him doesn't mean he's against you. And so he says, it's, there's two sides to this. And if he's not against you, he's for you. But the opposite is also true. There was another time where Jesus said this, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. There are two foundational forces at play here, good and evil. And I like to think that there is a broad neutral somewhere out there. That there's this normalness where people can choose one or the other, or there's a, there, there's a choose your own adventure type of a thing. But at the very foundation of the spiritual realm, which we can't see, but God shows us, there is no neutral. And that's going to be something that we build on as we see how this plays out in our lives. But number two, the first thing we need to know is that there's no neutral between good and evil. There is no neutral ground with regard to God and the devil, good and evil, righteousness and sin. It's one or the other. Um, we see this portrayed in scripture. Uh, again, we can't see the spiritual side of things, but we see little glimpses in scripture of how this happened with the angels. They were all created good, but some rebelled. Some thought they could be God, and so there was this separation holy angels, and condemned. There was no one left in the middle. And so that's what we're working with when it comes to the things we can see in this world. There are two forces at play, both of them at war over you. But we don't see the spiritual realm. We see things in this world. And so as we go forward in this section, Paul's going to give us some things we can actually relate with. Like, 
Here's how this looks in real time. Uh, the the uh, demons of doctrines. Oh, by the way, we'll talk about the demon, uh, doctrines of demons in just a little bit. And it sounds crazy and really evil, but it's not that bad. We'll, we'll see it in just a minute. Um, it, it says, uh, such teachings, these doctrines of demons come through hypocritical liars. Liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Their consciences have been, have been cauterized to the point where they're completely numb. And even though they know that what they say isn't true, they keep saying it and they keep doing it. And, and you might wonder, well, what were these people doing and saying? Like, you, you might picture, you know, demonic devil worshipers and the things they do in dark rooms with candles. Like, what do you envision? Well, here's... Here's what these demonic doctrines were leading to. It says they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. And you might be like, wait a minute. Your relationships and your diet, those are demonic doctrines. And you might think that's not a big deal at all. But here's something to consider. Any teaching that leads you away from grace and free forgiveness is a demonic doctrine. If someone comes to you and they say, the way to be closer to God and the way to make him pleased with you, the way to make it to heaven is for you to remain abstinent and not marry. And if you do that, you'll be good with God. That is a demonic doctrine. If someone comes to you and they say, the way to be right with God is to change your diet, um, cut out this or cut out that or don't eat these and whatever. If, if they say that's the way to get close to God, that is a demonic doctrine because it takes you away from the, the, the proclamation that your sins are freely forgiven in Christ and there's nothing you can do to add or contribute toward that. Don't marry. Abstain from certain foods. Well, here's the thing that we all need to recognize is that sometimes... Demonic doctrines don't seem so bad. In fact, they seem quite helpful. Maybe you found that abstaining from certain foods helps you feel better and it gives you more energy. Great. That's a good physical habit to identify. But when it comes to your faith and how you stand with God, that is by grace alone. I put it this way for number three. Consider both what you are being taught and where you are being led. Because if abstaining from certain foods gives you the idea that God is now more pleased with you, you've started down a dark road where your favor with God is dependent on what you do. I'll put it this way. Maybe some of you like to listen to podcasts. I like to listen to podcasts. Others like to read books. Others like to watch educational videos. Whatever your thing is, Maybe you found a source that's helpful, and I'll just use one example. Maybe you found a certain financial podcast, and you like to listen to it. And by listening to this podcast, you've become a better investor, a better saver, a more frugal spender, and you can, say, you can attribute a lot of good things to this podcast. And I'd say, that's great. That's a good thing to do. You're being taught some excellent things. But if they're leading you to a place where you are afraid and you're living out of fear of scarcity, I would urge you to be cautious with that. Don't just consider what you're being taught. Consider 
where you are being led. And I would say this is the true, uh, same thing uh, true of churches. And if, if you're just visiting us for the first time, and if you never come back because this isn't your thing, I'll just talk to you for a minute. That's great, first of all. Go, um, go find a church that preaches Jesus. I'll, I'll encourage you with this. I could stand up here and from the Bible tell you how to live your life in a lot of great ways. And it's going to be super helpful. It'll help you be successful and have better relationships. There's a lot of great wisdom in the Bible. But if I just do that, it's going to lead you to a place of guilt. Because inevitably, you will fail at what you try to do. And if I don't lead you to the place of grace, where your relationship with God is founded by what Jesus did for you, and there's nothing you can do to contribute, then I've led you to a bad place. So don't just consider what you're being taught. Consider where you are being led. And then uh, Paul finishes up the section we're looking at with this encouragement to Timothy. He says, I know this might sound like a small thing. They forbid people to marry. They order them to abstain from certain foods, which the foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. We talked about that in the, uh, previously in the series, where we can easily turn things into our, our God, but if we receive them with thanksgiving, that's pleasing to God. Because it's consecrated or it's made holy. What makes it special is the word of God, what God declares about it, and prayer, the means by which we receive it. God declares that what he gives me is good. Marriage is good. Sexuality is good. Money is good. Food is good. Let him declare what it is and what it's for. And we receive it, use it according to his his perspective, his rules. And I appreciate how author C.S. Lewis had an insight into this. If you've ever wondered, what would the devil do if he could like, write a book training another demon how to do his job to pull people away from God? Doesn't that sound intriguing? Like a book written by the devil to train another demon how to pull people away from God? Um, author C.S. Lewis actually wrote a book you know, kind of pretending that was the situation. It's called the the Screw Tape Letters, where the devil is writing letters to a demon called Screw Tape, which I know is a funny word, funny name, but that's his name. And he basically goes step by step, here's how to lead people away from God. And it gives interesting insight into what the devil's doctrines would look like if he were to write them out in paper. And here's one excerpt from the book. It says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope. Soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones to let you know where you're headed, without signposts to warn you what's ahead. And if he were going to design a way for you to wander away from God, we picture the road to hell as this awful thing, but really it's that gentle slope. Maybe just one step where you feel like God is pleased with you because of what you do. And then another step, which leads you further and further away from him. It's the gentle slope with no warning signs. That's what the devil would create if he were going to create some doctrine by which to pull people away from God. So let's put this all together. What what do we see in the world around us, and how do we put this into practice? Well, when it comes to Timothy, who was the first one to receive this letter from Paul, 
Here's what he had to do to apply this in real time. You see, the world where he was ministering to was a lot different than ours today. His situation was unique because where he served in Ephesus, there was this great temple to to Artemis, which a lot of culture swirled around what happened at that temple and how, how people worshiped there. But another thing that really swayed how he had to connect with, with the people of his day was kind of the overriding philosophy that people live by. The people in the first century, especially in his area, wrestled with this question. Well, where is God? And the reason they wrestled with it is because when they looked around, they, they saw what we see. They saw bad things happening. They saw evil and death And no matter what they did, you can't overcome the sicknesses and ultimately the death. So they really wrestled with this. Well, where is God and how do we find him? How do we reach him? And they came to this conclusion. And this is one of those teachings where uh, this this term wasn't made until later. But basically what, what Timothy was dealing with was the teaching of Gnosticism, where people were trying to find this way to God, but they found that physical things weren't getting them any closer. So here's their conclusion. By the way, this took me four years of seminary to learn this. What they determined is that anything physical, anything with matter is evil. And then anything that is spiritual is good. Because we are physical. We have physical bodies. This is a physical world. And they said, ultimately, this will all be destroyed. They, they couldn't, they couldn't um, ignore that fact. And so they they decided, well, then it must be our spiritual selves, our spiritual essence. That is the part that is good. And so we need to learn more and grow more and and transcend, so to speak. And so Timothy had a really hard job reaching his culture. But Paul told him in, in certain words, you've got something so much better than the solution they came up with. We have a savior who came from heaven to live as a physical human being just like us. And he died for our sins. And when he rose again, he proved that someday we too will bodily rise to be with God, body and soul together. Jesus' solution is so much better than what they had. So we have to ask the question what is it with our culture today? What's the problem? that we're trying to solve. Not we, but our culture in general. And you might think only one problem. (laughs) Um, If you're meeting with your growth group this week, this would be a good thing to talk about. Like, what are the problems that our culture is trying to solve and how is Jesus a unique solution? But here's one of the big problems that we see around us. The problem is, who am I? And who gets to determine that? And this started several decades ago where... um, the, the norms around sex and sexuality began to be pushed and changed. And who you are and what you did was up to you. Don't let anyone judge you for, for who you are, what you've done. And in more recent years, this has even gone into the very core of who you are with regard to your gender identity. I'm, I'm not judging. I'm not here to condemn anything. I'm just trying to analyze the problem our culture is trying to solve. And the problem is, who am I? And the solution is, you get to decide who you are. However you feel, that's who you are. 
Whatever you think, that's who you are. And, and so the solution has drawn us inwardly. So here's the thing. The problem is, who am I? External authority is bad. If people come in and tell you who you are, that's off limits. But your internal voice, that's good. That's the solution that our current culture has come to. So what's, what's my stance? What's my reaction toward that? Well, here's one observation. First of all, the church can't step into a situation like this and exert even more authority. That won't work. But what we can do is offer a different solution. I can only imagine how hard it is to wake up every morning and try to decide who you are based on how you feel. And I can't imagine the peer pressure young people are facing to be true to themselves and listen to their inner voice, even though that inner voice doesn't have much of a vocabulary yet. How much pressure does that put on a person to to make them decide who they are. But what I found is something so much better, a much better solution. What if there was a loving God who created you with a purpose and he made you the way you are because there's something only you can do? And what if I could wake up every morning just trusting that I am who he declares me to be? And because of what Jesus rose... Because of his resurrection, there's a better solution for me. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to exert my authority. I'm here to offer a different solution. And his name is Jesus. But there's a bigger issue for every culture of every age. At the beginning, we acknowledge that when it comes to your faith, there is no neutral because your faith isn't a matter of where you stand on an issue It's about where you stand with God. So let's ask that question. Where do I stand with him? Where do you stand with God? Maybe you look to the last 24 hours or the last week or the last decade. And the evidence in your past suggests that you don't stand in a good place. Maybe you thought about that quote from C.S. Lewis, and you can see how there was a time in your past where you just took one step down that gentle slope, and it just felt so right to follow everyone else down that very broad path. And maybe you're so far down that path, you might think there is no place for people like you to be with God, and so you might as well keep walking. But can I encourage you and challenge you with this? Ephesians 2. As for you, and you could just as easily stand up here and point the finger at me. As for me, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In which you used to live down that gradual slope when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's who I was. And at one time, that's who you were too. And when God found you there, he didn't fold his arms and you know, say, you better change your life. You better behave because the way into grace is not through you. It required the death 
of a man named Jesus who for his whole life lived as God wanted. Yet in his death served as the bridge to those who were far. See, when it comes to you, there is no neutral. You are either dead in your transgressions and sins or you are alive with Christ. And I would love to think that there was some divine spark in me where I could choose to cross over, but there wasn't because there is no neutral. It took an act of God by the grace of God to change where I stand and where you stand. And so, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, with Christ, even when we were dead in, in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. There is no neutral with regard to the spiritual forces, spiritual leaders, the culture around us, or even you. So where do you stand with God? You stand with him by grace. And that is the solution we need. And we need to internalize that solution so much that we can extend that solution to the world. So number four, Jesus offers the only solution that works. The only solution that brings us to where we ultimately need to be. So I want to close with two questions that will help you apply this message into your own life and they might be a little predictable. Um, if you're following along on your sheet, they're already written down for you, so you know what the two questions are. First question is this, whom are you leading? And since today is Mother's Day, let's just bring up that topic. If, if you're a mother, if you're a father, if you're a parent, a grandparent, you're leading. And the question isn't just, what are you teaching your children? The question is, what are you leading them to? You can teach them to be very successful, and you can teach them to prioritize different things in their life, but the question we should constantly be asking is, where are we leading them to? And as a parent, I'm not perfect, and I haven't been perfect. My kids are here, they can say, they can affirm that for you. But what I strive to do every day is not just to teach them what they should do, but lead them to where they need to go, to Jesus, to his solution. And this is difficult. If, if you're a parent of someone who's kind of wandered from the faith, they're, they're down that gentle slope. How do you navigate that? Not by exerting authority, by showing them grace. Show them the solution. Show them the difference it makes. So who are you leading? And where are you leading them to? Uh, the next one is, whom are you following? And there's the obvious one. Maybe you've got your, your household. Maybe you've got mom, dad, uh, grandparents. Maybe in your place of business, you've got your, your employer. But think about the more subtle things. The books you read. The podcasts you listen to. Who are the voices that are speaking into your life? And more than just, what are they teaching you? Where are they leading you? Remember that where you stand with relation to God, you stand there by grace. Jesus is the solution. And what you think about faith, what you think about spirituality, it's not a neutral topic because, because where you stand with God, it's not a matter of what you think about a topic. It's about how you get to be with him. 
Jesus is the solution. So I hope you can come back next week because some of you might be thinking, well, I don't have much leadership. I'm just a young person or I'm not very experienced or I don't have much influence. Well, next week we're going to talk about what it looks like to have influence even when you are young. But for today, let's wrap up with a prayer. Almighty God, this is a difficult topic to navigate. When it comes to the way we talk about spirituality and faith, there's a lot of hard opinions of different people. And some people are ready to get behind this and push forward, and others maybe feel like they were judged a little bit during this message. My goal, Father, was just to be faithful to the word you gave us and to navigate it as best that we can. None of us are perfect at this, and some of us have gone down a path that we shouldn't have gone down. But I thank you at the end of the day, we're all the same. We're all loved, we're all forgiven, and we all stand with you by grace alone. Help us to not lose that. and Help us to live out of that solution Jesus gave so that we can share it with the people we love. Thank you for your word. Continue to send your spirit to give us discernment and wisdom as we seek to put this into practice as we live by grace alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen.